I think what happened there is you dodged a catfish because that happened to me. So I had a situation where there was a guy and he was like, the conversation, he just like started like sexting me. Oh, I played along, but I'm a really bad sexter. Mom and dad was just like, oh yeah, great, fun, whatever. Like, I love it. Like, like so bad. I'm so bad at sexting. So like you said, he lived in LA and he was like going to take me out on a date. And then the next morning, same thing like you, I went to go check the app and he had unmatched me on the app. And then I sent him a text message about it. And yeah. I was like, oh, haha, you unmatched me, LOL. And my friend was like, wait a second. I matched with the exact same guy in Brooklyn. Oh my God. And I matched with him in LA. So <gasps> yeah. So actually a guy, some random person was sexting me from God knows where, probably his mom's basement, which actually pretty oh cool. Your God. mom has a basement. Hello, welcome back. We're here for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. And today I have a fabulous guest who is also an LA resident. I'm interviewing Gabby Conti and she was absolutely amazing. She famously went on 30 dates in three days. Yes, like 30, three zero and just three days. So obviously I had to start the episode by talking about that experience and just really laughing at the fact that I went on four dates in one weekend was a big deal. Clearly it's not, that's just kid stuff. So we also talk a lot about toxic traits in dating because she hosts a podcast called Am I Dating a Serial Killer, which really dives into a lot of more serious topics about toxicities that women have encountered in men in their past relationships. And it really got me thinking about the fact that so many people just throw out these dating terms very loosely these days, I think as the dating discourse has just become more prevalent. And one example that we talk about is like West Elm Caleb and the fact that people throw out the fact that he love bombed them. And it really just made me reflect as well, because recently I was a guest on We Met at Acme podcast. And one of the questions that Lindsay Metzler, the host of the show, asked me was, have you ever been love bombed? And I hadn't really thought about my answer to that before our interview. So quickly, I was just like, hmm, have I been love bombed? And I was just like, yeah, I think I actually have. And I told a quick story about this guy who I dated on and off for a couple of months. And the examples that I gave were pretty vague. It was like, okay, on our second date, he took us somewhere really fancy. I remember he actually wore a suit. Then there was a night where I said I couldn't hang out because I was like really busy and stressed out about running errands. And he's like, I'll do your errands for you. I'll go grocery shopping for you. I'll do your laundry. And I was like, I mean, okay, like if you're going to offer it. And another thing which I didn't mention was the fact that on our second date, we had someone take a picture of us. And then he was like, yeah, I'm going to send this picture to my parents, which is like so weird. Honestly, it's on me, the fact that I like kept dating this person. But Regardless of all those things, like, yes, they're weird. And yes, they're a little bit too much investment for what stage we were at. But as I talked to Gabby, it really just made me think like, I don't think I was love bombed. You know, I think this person was being a little bit extra, but she gives really great insight into 
what differentiates just someone doing nice over-the-top things for you from actual love bombing. So she has really great expertise, and I think it's going to be a really informative but also entertaining episode, so I can't wait for you to hear from her. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to welcome today's guest. I have the host, co-creator, and co-executive producer of Am I Dating a Serial Killer?, The first 10 episode season is out now on Audible. It's so bingeable. I literally could not get myself to stop listening. She's also the author of 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s, and she has been published by Chronicle Books, available wherever you buy or listen to books. Gabby Conti, welcome to Interstates and Heartbreak. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So, so excited to have you. I feel like we have so much to dive into, and I feel like on top of the accolades that I just mentioned, which are already so impressive. You also have another very noteworthy accomplishment to your name, and that is the fact that you went on 30 dates in three days. So I feel like we have to kick it off with that. Oh, of course. Yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, the thing that I am known for (laughs) (laughs) and will always be known for, even though now I'm a boring married lady, which actually technically my husband was the 31st date. So I didn't find love on the 30 dates, but after that, I think I had the right mindset to know exactly what I wanted in a partner and to kind of not deal with anything less than. That is amazing. And I will admit, I like stalked your Instagram a little bit. So I saw that you had that New York Times feature and I saw that it was the 31st date, but I was like, oh, maybe that's a cute headline. I didn't know it was literally the date after that challenge. Yeah, because it was the 31st, I would say new date Mm because after the challenge, there was some like I went on some second dates. And then of course I like went on some dates with like guys I had known in the past, but like Mm -hmm. The next first date I went on after the 30 dates in the three days was with my my now husband. Oh my gosh, that's so magical and special. And I feel like we have to dive into all of that. And it's funny because listeners of my podcast will know I like talk about the fact that one time I went on four dates in one weekend. And I was like, that's so crazy. And like, not even as a flex, just to be like, that was so exhausting. And I can't believe I did that. So I just have to ask, like, how did you pull it off? How did this whole experience come to be? Just everything. Well, I love my iCal and I definitely needed to be that type of person going into it. I am someone who schedules everything, puts everything in. And so that was really my biggest friend. And the assignment, or which I pitched my editor at Cosmopolitan on a Friday, and then I had to go on my first date the following Friday. So I had a week to line up all these dates. And so... <laughs> doing the logistics of it. And it was a long weekend. It was um, Memorial Day weekend. So doing the logistics of it, I realized I would have to start on Friday and go until Sunday. And the dates had to average about an hour. They couldn't really be more than an hour. Mm -hmm. Luckily, this took place in Los Angeles. So a couple of dates flaked, uh, (laughs) which counted (laughs) because I was there. I was ready to go on the date. And also, I think one of the dates was a phone call. So, you know, because that kind of worked logistically. But I also didn't have a car at the time, which in LA is like, how do you live? So I had to keep them all within a mile radius. And I did go to like some of the places and some dates were like walks or one date was at Dave and Buster's, which is one of my favorite dates, not the person, but the date was fun. Mm -hmm. And that was how I did it by doing the schedule. And half of the dates knew that I was doing the article. The other half didn't. Mm-hmm. That was per my editor. Ideally, we wanted no one to know. And it wasn't because I was hiding this big secret. I really was looking for an authentic connection. And I really wanted to see how these people really were. And I didn't want you know them to be on their best behavior, which yeah. we already are on a first date. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is so amazing because I feel like 
you are like the real life Andy Anderson. This is like the IRL version of how to lose a guy in 10 days. But it's like how to lose a guy in 10 seconds. Tell him you went on 30 dates in three days. Like no guy wants to date you like while you're doing that or after you do that. Like, and it's so funny. It's like, what do you think I'm doing on these dates? These are like coffees. At best, they end with like an awkward hug. Literally. Yeah. It's not even like anyone could assume anything scandalous. Well, people, <laughs> I guess they people could. did. People did. I got a lot of slut shaming from it. People thought that the dates were like a lot of like gold digger assumptions. A lot of people thought that I was having sex with all 30 guys in three days, which I'm like, how do you even? Yeah, that no. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I would love to hear more about the reactions, like not only in terms of like, how did they react if you did decide to tell them, but I imagine like you had to be super proactive. You're like, all right, I got to get these on the calendar. So like, did you just take more initiative than normal on the apps? And like, how did guys react to you being so forward? Yes. Normally I would never set the date, but I had to. So if I was talking with a guy and he had some interest in meeting up, I would be the one be like, great. How's Monday at this or not, How's Friday at like 11 AM? Or how do you feel about a breakfast date? Cause mm-hmm. those are a lot of the early, I was trying to get most of my dates done like in the morning and the afternoon while I had the time. Yeah. And so I had to kind of take that initiative, which I don't think I normally did. And then luckily with, yeah, so I'm happy I I did do that. But when I was planning them the first half, I by like Wednesday, so like two days before I was supposed to embark on this, I had 15 dates scheduled from just using dating apps. And I was on like five different dating apps, like Mm -hmm. trying to get this to work. And then I asked my editor, I was like, is it okay if I like, you know, get set up? So the other 15, I posted on my social media and I got set up by the other 15. So. Oh my God. Amazing. So I guess like, did you notice any difference in quality of dates, like between the apps or on like the app dates versus the setup dates? Yeah. I feel like the setup dates were almost more pressure because we were getting set up through a mutual friend. And they knew what I was doing. So mm-hmm. I kind of felt bad for the setup dates. And also they were more like, and I think that's obviously why my, my editor was like, it's better not for them to know because I think they're thinking more about how they're going to come off on paper, Yeah, which gets in the way of us being able to have an actual like legitimate connection. The people who were uh, setups, they didn't flake. Actually, one of them did. One of them had to cancel on me, but it's like, a fr- so I was like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. I like believe you, but- mm-hmm. When another guy canceled on me an hour before our date, uh, I'm pretty sure it was because he was on another date. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Or going to another date. (laughs) That is like so quintessential LA, just in terms of the flakiness and like double booking. Or like the better option. (laughs) Yes, 100%. It's like, okay, I'm going to weigh my options here and like see which one I want to go on versus just being like, oh, I committed to this. Exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh. So How did you like feel throughout the process of this? Like, were you super excited in the beginning? How did your energy kind of like wane or stay up throughout this process? I think I was very excited. I just, cause I was really determined to make a connection, to meet someone. The whole reason why I did it too was to kind of hold myself accountable because I felt like I was the person who was constantly flaking on dates or the person who wasn't taking dating apps seriously. So I kind of felt having something like this to hold me accountable was helpful. And prior to doing the experiment, I was doing it on my Instagram. It's so funny because now I feel like you scroll through TikTok or maybe this is just my For You page. And there's so many of these like, "Uh, I'm about to go on a date. Okay, I'll let you know how it goes. Like, here I'm on the date. It's going really well. Like, I think I might have invented that. Like, (laughs) I 
was really doing this on my Instagram stories in the summer of 2019. I was doing the whole before and after, Yeah. but I was never showing the guy. I was always mm-hmm. just kind of like, and I was trying to take out the information. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I was doing that because I had just gotten out of a relationship and I felt like doing something to hold me accountable was the only way to help me get back out there. So I was nervous. I was excited, but I also was hopeful. I really was hopeful that I was going to make a good connection from this. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's so important to stay hopeful because it's really easy to get burnt out and like to get bitter. So how long had you been single at the time when you were like, okay, I'm going to start this challenge? I moved to New York for my last relationship before my husband, and we broke up around Thanksgiving of 2018. Okay. So, and then I had to live with my parents uh, before the pandemic made it cool. I'm from Connecticut, so we're Mm. close to New York City. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, like dating really wasn't great living with your parents. Not that there was like, I wasn't really dating in Connecticut. I was dating in New York City. Mm -hmm. But then I had to deal with my parents being like, why aren't you home? And like all that stuff. Also, no guy wanted to seriously date me when I didn't live in New York City. And so after doing that, I moved back to LA actually on Valentine's Day. I booked a a one-way ticket flight on Valentine's Day 2019. Mm -hmm. So I was dating and single, but mostly just single and focusing on myself. And then that experiment was on Memorial Day weekend 2019. So Sorry, I'm so bad at math, but I guess it's like almost six months. Nice. Yeah. Couple months. <laughs> That's such a good timeline. Also, so mm-hmm. serendipitous that you like moved back on Valentine's Day. It's like so I know. romantic. <laughs> so on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. So I know you mentioned that like you kind of learned a lot from this experience and it kind of highlighted traits that you did want and maybe didn't want. So, like, what were some of the takeaways that you had from this challenge? Well, having not a lot of time in that weekend, I really didn't have the time to play games. So if a guy had flaked on me or made up an excuse, like I really wasn't interested in trying to get a redo for the second date. Cause I was like, you know what? You, you had the opportunity to show up and you didn't. So, you know, I'm not going to be the one reaching out to set this next date up. Yeah. And also like being more selective about the second dates I went on. I feel like prior to this, if I just got asked out on a second date, I would go even if I wasn't feeling it. And I think that that was just not fair to me or the date. So I definitely didn't do that. And also I didn't reach out to any of the guys I went on a first date with. I let them reach out after the first date. Mm -hmm. And so the second dates I went on were the guys that reached out. And then I told them about the piece I, I did Mm -hmm. And I was transparent. And so they knew about it. And one of them didn't want to go on a second date with me and uh, tried to get me kicked off of actually did get me kicked off of a dating app after I was honest with him about it. Yeah. Like on what grounds? Like how is that an offense worthy of kicking someone off? Well, because it's the dating app where I could say it's Raya, the celebrity, whatever. So like I technically you're not supposed to be, but I never, like, I didn't say Raya in the article. I, so that's how I knew that he was, and he was the only Raya date I went on. That's how I knew that that was the reason I was kicked off the platform because the article came out and I was kicked off the platform. Oh my God. And he was very upset when I was honest with him about the situation. And he was like, that's really messed up. And like, he said something that was like very projecting and very like, just not the right <laughs> reaction. And I was like, yeah. you know, and I was kind of on the fence on going on a second date with him. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm glad I, I guess I'm on the other side of that fence now. <laughs> yeah. He made the decision easy. That's really mm-hmm. lame of him. Yeah. Pretty lame. So. So I feel like this transitioned so well into the book you wrote, 20 guys yes. you date in your twenties. And so I know you wrote this before you actually had this challenge, but I'd love to kind of hear how that experience aligned with maybe some of the archetypes that you outline in your book. 
Sure. So 20 guys you date in your 20s, I had sold the book while I was dating the guy who I thought was going to be the guy that's your person, which is the last chapter. I think these are less like guys, they're more like relationship types. And I feel like you, they're not necessarily don't date this person, like literally the only type of relationship that you obviously should not get into is the toxic one. But I do think that you can make any of these work. And that's why each chapter features a story of my own experience, charts and quizzes. And then I interview couples who have that as their obstacle. So for example, the guy who's hotter, I interview a couple where one person feels or their partner is significantly hotter than them. And then how do they make that work or, you know, older, younger? I mean, my husband is like several of these, like he's a little bit younger than me. I think he's hotter than me, you know? (laughs) Okay. You're such a catch. So I cannot imagine, but instant boyfriend, you know, like our relationship was kind of fast. And I'm happy that I was able to to do these interviews and have that information because I feel like I am kind of a dating expert in the sense that I've gone on more dates than the average person, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a relationship expert. So to get relationship advice from my friend who married her boyfriend after five months of dating, wow, uh, who also has a true crime podcast, funny (gasps) enough. My friend Jessie Prey, her podcast is Love Murder. And it's funny because on her podcast, she always talks about the biggest red flag in like, (laughs) dating like or like love murder situations is the relationship goes too fast yeah (laughs) and but she gave like the best advice of like almost like a little checklist of like things that you should do if you are in a relationship and it's moving quickly Mm -hmm. and that's really like to make sure that you're on the same page as that person but yeah so that's what the book is and I had written it and it was already off to the presses by the time I met my husband but it's really a guidebook I feel like anyone can use it I hope my stories people find funny And I still find myself using it with my friends. Like my good friend texted me the other day with like a paragraph long, like needing dating advice and just like looking at it. I was like, oh, okay. So he's the guy you always go back to. Here's how you're going to deal with this. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Because if you think back, like I'm pretty positive that any relationship you're in, regardless of your sexuality, any of that stuff, like I feel like you are going to find that you face these types of obstacles or types and that Mm -hmm. maybe you are that type in the relationship. And like, here's how you can try to make it work. But again, don't make the toxic relationship work, please. Yes. Get out of the toxic relationship. One to avoid. (laughs) That's why I didn't interview a couple for the toxic relationship with advice on how they got over their toxicness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the sticky one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I also interviewed all of my exes. So every chapter... features the guy that the story is about. They get to weigh in with their side of the story, a successful couple, and then an actual expert. So for like the guy who got away, I actually interviewed a private investigator about how to find someone who's missing. (laughs) Wow. So what insight did your exes have? And like, was there any maybe like disagreement in terms of like how things went down from your perspective versus theirs? Yes. Well, so I have a diary and many Google Docs because I would always write about my dating experiences for myself to kind of reflect Mm -hmm. back on and check in on and kind of make sure I'm being level-headed with the situations I was in. And I had two exes who, actually three exes, who uh, I I hate to use this word loosely, but who basically did try to gaslight me into how the relationship ended. (laughs) Wow. To make themselves look better. And the thing that's so crazy to me about it is that I will take anything out of this. I've changed the name. I've changed the details. If there's any information here that you're uncomfortable with, I will take it out. Mm -hmm. And like, why didn't they just say, hey, I'm not comfortable with that detail. Can you take it out? Why are you trying to like change the reality of what I know for sure and my friends know for sure really happened in our relationship? 
You're like, I have literal receipts of what happened. <laughs> well, yeah, like the guy who's older, spoiler alert, I dated a guy when I was 23 and he told me when we first started dating, he was 35, which was older than any guy I ever dated, mm-hmm. but I believed him. And nine months later, I found out he was actually 45 and had been lying to me about his age the entire time. Wow. And when I reached out to him with his chapter, he was like, this is a completely made up. And <laughs> wait, there's, that's like one of the least things that you can lie about. Like that is very, And I was like blasting Dixie chicks gaslighter. And then I was like, wait, did I make that up? Have I just been like telling this lie? <laughs> like, and then I, I messaged my roommate who I was living with when I found out, I was like, I didn't make this up. Right. I came home one night and I was like, I just found out that his name is Robert in the book. Robert's been lying to me about his age. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that hundred percent happened. (laughs) I was there. That is so (laughs) wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is very gaslighty. I will say. Yeah. Look, and I know I am no angel. Like I'm sure I did so many stupid things when I was dating and so many things that were like, maybe to some extent toxic, right? Like I might've taken those details out because I just didn't want to. Yeah. You're the main character. (laughs) I know I'm not perfect. I mean, there's a reason why I was still single. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why I was never in a relationship that lasted more than a year. Like, I know I'm also the problem. Like, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. But please don't try to gaslight me about like No. Yeah, that is crazy. And I love that you said you weren't perfect. I feel like that a lot too. I'm like, wow, it is kind of weird to have this platform where I can just talk about all the things that happened in past relationships and mm-hmm. like not really have anyone to call me on it. I did actually bring on one ex and we had like, a super long discussion. I actually had to break it up into two episodes. Oh my goodness. I have to listen to this one. I'm your new biggest fan. Leslie. I don't know oh if you know God. this. Oh, it's my new favorite so podcast. That is so amazing coming from you. But like one thing we disagreed on is he was very much like, oh yeah, like when we met at this wedding, like you said, oh, I'd love to like be exclusive with you. Basically he said like, I was the one to like put it all out there and move the relationship forward. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I'm like, I know myself, like, I'm not that forward girl. Like, in some ways, I wish I was, but I was like, absolutely not. Like, I remember how the conversation went. This is how it went. He's like, no, no, no. And I was like, okay, like, we're not going to agree on this. But I know the truth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I but I guess that kind of is how it is, is that we all have our own narratives of how relationships went down. And maybe we keep those narratives because they make us feel better about the relationship. I mean, it's the difference between looking back at your past relationships and are you looking at the highlight reel or are you looking at the uncut version? And a majority of the time we're looking at the highlight reel where yes, we're the main character and Mm -hmm. we do no wrong, but it's helpful to take that unfiltered look and to kind of realize and see the relationship for what it's for and also own up to your mistakes. I mean, that's why after the guy lied to me about his age, I went to a therapist and it was great. Like the best decision of my life. Shout out to the angry therapist. My first therapist in Los Angeles was like so helpful into Mm. just like helping me break these patterns And teaching me these words, which now we kind of do talk about on the podcast, like I didn't know what codependency was. And I was very codependent when I first started dating. Yeah. And I love that, you know, to your point, maybe you weren't perfect, but I think the most important thing in dating is that you're self-reflective and that you then take actions to kind of move forward and improve as a dater rather than just being like, oh, well, like it's their problem and like not taking any time to maybe think about what you could change. That's Mm -hmm. what really matters. Self-awareness is like, So key. You need to be self-aware and you need to own up to what you do for sure. Yes. Very key. So one question I have to ask, because I feel like we talk about LA archetypes all the time. Are there any guys who you date, who you outline in the book, who you think are more common in LA than other cities? 
Well, I think it's the guy who's cooler than you. I think it's a different type of guy in Los Angeles versus the guy in New York City or another city. Because actually, I oh, lucky me, I got to date a guy who was cooler on both coasts. And <laughs> I can report back. So the guy who was cooler in Los Angeles to paint a picture of him, he loved sneakers, would wait in line to get sneakers, <laughs> loved clubs, lived for bottle service, uh, found out later he actually was a promoter in addition to working for his dad. Oh, a uh, big partier, always had the best style, always had to be the center of attention, like really into sports and just, you know, just like had an air about it. But he was cooler, but also, also like any guy who's cooler than you in Los Angeles, they're also a slasher. So a slasher means they don't just have one occupation. Yeah. They have 10 <laughs> occupations. Some of those yes. occupations, they don't pay the bills yet, but someday they will. So this guy also wanted to like act. He wanted to model. He wanted to do, you know, there was a million things, but the thing that paid the bills, I'm pretty sure was his trust fund. But that's another story. That's really the LA guy who's cooler. The guy who's cooler in New York City, he has like vinyls. He's really good at pool. He has this apartment that he's like lived in. It's like very small, but he like makes it work. And he's been there for like a decade. There's a lot of plants that he like miraculously keeps alive. (laughs) He's a regular at a bar. And of course the bar, just like how I met your mother is like right below his apartment. Wherever he is in New York City, he will never come to you. Like you'll always have to go. Meet him, even if you're on opposite sides of the city. And he has a real job. The guy who's cool in here has a real job. Even though he parties all the time, you're like, how does he make it work? And it's like something impressive. His job, like he either like he works in finance or he's a lawyer or he's like, he's something cool. Yeah. The guy who's cooler definitely does have to spend at least his weekends in Brooklyn. He has to. Like, oh, interesting. No matter where you have to, have, you have to do that. You can't call yourself cooler if you just stay in the city. Yeah. You have to have like a little bit of grit or a little more edge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's so exhausting to date that kind of guy. And, and like anyone who just has to have the center of attention on them at all times, it's just like, I don't know, you need a little more balance in a partner. Like you need someone who's okay with rescinding the spotlight. Well, it's a center of attention. And then it's also the issue is that when you're dating someone that you are convinced is cooler than you, because that's you, that's your own insecurity. Like, like who says he's cooler? I thought he was. So then you start altering your presence. You start dressing differently. You start acting differently. You start doing things that you don't like to do, like go to nightclubs. And then that is when it becomes a problem. So like, yes, I think my husband is much cooler than me. He's into like classic cars. Like, how cool is that? Like, I know nothing about cars. But like, I didn't pretend to know about cars to like get with him. Mm-hmm. You, you just find out about that person, you know, you learn about them and you learn from them and, and you do your thing because like you have a thing that makes you cool. So own up to that. And if that person can't see that, then why are you dating them? Yeah, that's very true. I love that perspective because I do think that the problem does come when you start to act in a certain way because it's like you get in your head, it kind of is going to seep into the way that you're behaving with this person. And I just think makes you a little less attractive just because confidence and self-assuredness is inherently so attractive for both genders. So Right. And it's too hard pretending to be someone that you're not. I mean, it works for the first month of dating, but after that, like, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, the jig is going to be up at some point. So kind of going back momentarily to the article you wrote, one thing that really stood out to me was the fact that you shared the names and phone numbers of all the guys in a Google doc and you did it for like safety purposes. Oh my God. You scared me because I thought you were like, in the article, all of their names and personal information was, I was like, uh, wait, Imagine. I just like see? dox them. Like I found something somewhere. <laughs> it's like a gotcha moment. This is actually not a dating podcast. This is a legal podcast. I am a private I'm a lawyer. investigator. <laughs> a private investigator. Oh my gosh. 
But yeah, that stood out to me because I was like, that is really smart. And I reflect on my time when like I was dating when I was single and on the apps and I just didn't take the safety precautions that I think I should have a lot of the times. And like one thing that stood out, you'll like get the context of this since you live in LA. So I went on a third date with this guy. He offered to cook me dinner at his place and he lived in Altadena. And so for anyone who doesn't live in LA, it's like basically the closest thing that LA city has to an actual forest. It's very far away. And so I go there and obviously I'd gone on these two dates with him and he, (laughs) I did. And he was like, not problematic at all. There were no red flags during these two dates, but it was still only two dates. And as I was driving out there and I was like, Oh my God, this is further than I thought. And I hadn't told anyone where I was going. I was like, I could get murdered. Like what if the cell phone service is really bad? He could dump my body in the forest. Like he lived next to a forest. Obviously, I'm still here, but it was like a very reflective moment for myself. And so I would just love to hear kind of like, were you always a cautious dater? Like, did you have lessons that you had to learn as maybe there were some sketchy guys that you encountered or that your friends encountered? Yeah. And that's so funny because your story that you just told, I had a similar experience. It's the last chapter of my book, The Guy That Makes You Do You, which is the thing that you break your patterns or you should break your patterns. And unfortunately, I didn't. And with this guy... I went on a third date overnight with him to Santa Barbara because I watched a lot of The Bachelor and I was like, yeah, overnights, that's what they do on the third date. Like, biggest mistake (laughs) of my life. Like, that was literally like I was living in a true crime and all of my friends were like, I was calling, like we got into a huge fight and I was like calling all my friends. Like one friend was like trying to tell me how to get on a train to come back to Los Angeles. Another friend was like ready to like drive up to Santa Barbara to come rescue me. Like, it was bad. And so no, I wasn't a cautious dater because up until that point, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. After that point, that was like a big reality check where I really, I thought back on that moment a lot when I started dating after my breakup because I should have been single after that and I should have done me and worked on myself. But instead, the next guy I dated, I ended up dating him for a long time and that was a mistake. And also on our podcast, Am I Dating a Serial Killer? We have a really great episode it's the episode with Rachel. And on her episode, she had a similar thing where a guy who had a couple of red flags invited her for like a weekend getaway. And she had the same thought as you as she's going there. She was like, maybe I should have told someone where I was going in case they need to find my body, which is like, hello, like funny now, kind of, but like terrifying. Like, please don't do that ever. Yeah. But yeah, so that's why the Google Doc was important with the 30 dates in three days and also sharing your location. And there's so many other tips and I'll definitely tell you some of them now, but there's so many tips that I got from these private investigators and former FBI agents and neuropsychologists that were able to share this information of things that I think 90% of people on dating apps don't do, but should be doing because you are about to go on a date with a total stranger. Mm -hmm. And you definitely shouldn't be driving someplace out into the woods on a third date. (laughs) No, (laughs) because it's it's just so it's so unsafe. Like looking back, it's so unsafe. It really is. Yeah. Like, I do laugh about it now to your point, but it is like, I am ashamed of myself. You know, that was just not smart. I was a little too old to be doing something with that poor judgment. But yeah, I would love to dive into the podcast. And I just have to say, which I know I told you this before, but when I first heard the subject matter, I was like, oh, that's like kind of scary. It's like real life stories from women who dated men ranging from like toxic to just like downright dangerous. And so I was like, I wonder if it's going to be really dark. And you do deal with very heavy and important subject matter. But I just think you have such a great skill at balancing that and like covering it in a way that is serious, but still remains lighthearted and bingeable. Like it's not too heavy to like binge episode over episode. 
Oh, thank you. That means a lot. I, that's something that balance, that fine line was like really tricky, but I'm happy I did that. And, and my producers at XG Productions, the co-executive producers, co-creators, like that was something that they were also very encouraging to kind of add that to it. Because I mean, that's how I get through my own trauma is with humor. And I think enough time has passed that I think it also is helpful to the person telling their story to kind of like now looking back, we can make a couple of jokes. But you know, here's the expert who's coming in who's going to tell us like what we shouldn't be joking about because this here are some life saving dating tips. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, it's really impressive. And I'd love to hear what inspired you to get involved in a show that covers this because it is a very important topic, but it's not one that I think people really focus on that often in the dating space. Yeah. So it was kind of a weird like kismet thing because I was actually on my Instagram story or IGTV during the pandemic. I had started doing this thing where I was hearing these crazy dating stories and I was, you know, in a relationship at the time. I still am (laughs) married now. (laughs) But I was hearing these stories and they were stories that I really wanted to cover for Cosmopolitan. And they were kind of like, well, like, you know, that's not really like it wasn't the right fit. So I was like, you know, I don't need a platform. I have my platform. So I started interviewing these people who had these crazy stories and I'd go live and some of the videos are still there. And I called it dating crimes and I'd send it to my manager and I was like, is there anything we could do with this? And he's like, oh, this is cool. Like whatever. And then cut to like a couple of months later, my manager's like, so this is interesting. This production company was just in here or I was just talking to them. And they're starting a podcast called Am I Dating a Serial Killer? So XG Productions had already had this idea, this concept, and they were looking for a host. And so we had our first meeting was over Zoom and it was like the perfect thing. It's like, oh my God, no way. Wait, you have all this experience. And like, you also are passionate about that. So that's kind of where the podcast came to be. But also why I'm so passionate about it is when I was writing my book, there is the chapter of the guy who's toxic, which when I initially was writing the book, I almost didn't put in because it isn't as light as the rest of him. And it was obviously the hardest chapter to write because I was in an abusive relationship. Actually, 10 years ago, I got out of the relationship, which is crazy to think about. And so I was really on the fence about doing it. But my editor had at Chronicle had pushed me to do it. And I'm happy she did. Because unfortunately, that is a reality of dating. And most people are in different degrees of toxic relationships, whether we realize it or not. And also when I looked back at my last relationship and also doing this podcast, I realized I was also in an emotionally abusive relationship. So I'm happy to be out, but I just think that if this podcast or me sharing my truth and my stories and these, these very brave, wonderful people opening up about their past and their relationships and, and being vulnerable with us can help at least one person identify that them or someone they love is in a, in a toxic relationship or give them some advice on how to be safer out there dating, like, then I've done my job. And so I'm, I'm really happy to have this opportunity and to, to be able to put this out into the world. Yeah, it's so important and powerful. And I think that because it's not talked about, I think that there's such a stigma around it still. I think it's lessening in recent years, but I think it's very easy for people to feel ashamed that maybe they could get hoodwinked or that they could get sucked into something that isn't healthy. But hearing from other people who are very well-rounded, smart individuals and realizing that it can happen to almost anybody, I think helps remove that stigma and helps people to feel comfortable opening up and sharing their experience so that they can get help from people around them. And because you know, the thing is, it, it people who get themselves into these situations are people like me and, and like you, because I feel like we, we're a little bit of a hopeless romantic, right? Mm-hmm. And is it our fault? I mean, it's also, we grew up with Disney and we grew up watching The Bachelor and we grew up on Mm -hmm. these rom-coms and rom-coms from when we were growing up in like the nineties and early two thousands are like so problematic. But (laughs) we think that that like, you know, they say that's your first, like, what do you know for love to be? Like, that's what we had. So yeah, of course we're going to look for the best in people. Of course, we're going to hope 
that going to a place where we feel a little uncomfortable, like at the end of the day, we're like, maybe it's worth it. Like maybe this is how I meet my husband. So I think that's why it's out there. And then, you know, we're living in a world too, where everyone's obsessed with true crime, but it's like, why are we so obsessed? Is it because we also put ourselves in these dangerous situations? Are we watching this to cope knowing that, thank goodness I got out of there when I did? Yeah. It is a really interesting psychological question. Like it's very strange, a strange phenomenon in our society. Yes. I try my best to not be an armchair detective, which is why I'm lucky (laughs) that I have actual former detectives coming on to talk because that also could be problematic in its own way as we've seen anything with how social media works when there is an active crime going on. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Okay. So I feel like to your point, it's really easy to get sucked into that armchair detective role. And I feel like with social media and the fact that like you mentioned earlier, so many people are just on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram being like, I'm going to use this as my opportunity to talk about dating. I fall guilty to that. Like I started my podcast about dating during the pandemic, but I just feel like so many people are like, okay, I want the world to hear what I have to say. And I think one positive outcome is that it's increased awareness around toxic traits and toxic dating behaviors. But then I think on the flip side, sometimes people attribute labels to behaviors that maybe aren't warranted. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on like the colloquial use of dating terms like love bombing and maybe even some of the ones that are actual psychological issues like labeling someone a narcissist. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the only person who could label someone a narcissist or a sociopath is a psychiatrist. And sure, there are tests online that you can take. But yeah, I think we have to remember that we aren't experts and also that these words can be damaging. But I also think, I mean, something like love bombing, I feel like that could be subjective to some extent. But if you really feel like you were love bombed, you probably were. And I just think the thing with, it's like gaslighting, we gaslighting and lying, we use too much interchangeably. And there's, there's a big difference because gaslighting is a lot more of a psychological manipulation. It's more of altering your reality, making you feel like the crazy one where like a lie could be gaslighting, but a lie isn't always gaslighting. So I think we have to be careful with the words that we're saying and how we're saying that. And you know, hey, we have Google. So if you are throwing out a word out there and you're not sure if it's correct, like do some research before you start throwing these around. I think the best instance of all this is with the West Elm Caleb thing, uh, which is blowing up, up. <laughs> which is blowing up on TikTok because I, while I feel for these women, I really do. And I've also had guys who made me a Spotify playlist and then broke up with me the next day. Like I know that actually was a mixed CD because it was back in college. Like that hurts. Mm-hmm. I hear you also unsolicited dick pics. Like no one deserves that. Yeah. But what is illegal there is putting his face and where he works yes. and his name all over the internet. Like, I, I mean, like that is doxing and that, that is doxing is actually, we have an episode about that episode four with Brooklyn. She was a victim of oh, being yeah. doxed. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. And that's something like you don't think about it, but please, like if you are going out there and you're sharing your dating life with the world, like good for you, go you. Like I love that you're doing it because there is a way that you're helping so many people by sharing your experience. The person you went on a date with did not ask to be a part of this narrative. So please try your best to protect their identity. Like just please, like don't, I don't think we should be showing pictures of people that we went on dates with. I just think it's just not right. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's not as if he did something that endangered anybody. Like, again, I don't like endorse his behavior by no, any me means. I'm not but, saying that, yeah, nothing he did was right, but. Yeah, but like <laughs> let the punishment fit the crime. And like, that definitely does not fit the crime in question here. Oh, here's the thing. If you go on a date with someone you met on a dating app and something like that happened to you, like they sent you 
an inappropriate picture or anything like that. And especially if you are talking to them on the dating app, which is a big thing, which is one of my number one tips, keep your conversation on the dating app. I know it's annoying. I know the notifications (laughs) are so annoying. Keep your conversation on the dating app. Do not exchange your number with your date until after a first date, after you met them in person. This is like very, very important because what those women should have done with the Weston Caleb thing, instead of doxing him, Every single one of those women should have reported him to the dating app they met him on. And that's a thing that you can do anytime you're in an uncomfortable situation, anytime you feel like you were assaulted, like anything like that, that you're being harassed. That's what you should do. I've done that. I didn't, it took me like so many hours of dating to realize that that was an option. Bumble was so good with that. But please do that because not only are you protecting yourself, you're protecting other people. And I do think that dating apps, and they, they do a good job at keeping their to the best of their ability, but please, please do that. Yes, I think that's so important. When I was on Tinder, there were a really alarming number of people who were like, oh, like my other account was deleted or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a red flag. Interesting. Like, what that happened is a big there? red flag, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the importance of staying on the app because in past episodes, I've told this story about how I matched with this guy, long story short, he agreed to take me out, he made a reservation or so he said. And so I was like, cool, we have a set time location. So when I hadn't heard from him day of, I didn't really think of it until it was like the afternoon. And I went to the app to be like, oh, I'm so excited and realized he unmatched me. Oh, yeah. So I was kind of like, I guess this wouldn't have happened if we exchanged numbers. But then it's like, okay, but you like, obviously dodged a bullet. And anyone who's going to do that isn't worth meeting up with anyway, like would have found a way to get out of it. But like, it's so much more important to not exchange numbers from a safety perspective. Well, I think what happened there is you dodged a catfish. Yeah, that's so I didn't even think about that. Because that happened to me. And it was a catfish. So I had a situation where there was a guy, I think it was Bumble. And he was like, the conversation, he just like started like sexting me. Oh, and I was like, what? Like, I think I, I played along, but I'm a really bad sexter, mom and dad. So like nothing, like it was just like, oh yeah, great, fun, whatever. Like, I love it. Like, like so bad. I'm so bad at sexting. So like this was going on and he said he lived in LA and he was like going to take me out on a date. I still have all those like date diaries I told you about. It's called Daily Date. It's like still on my highlights and my Instagram story. Mm-hmm. So you could actually go see the screenshots of this. Oh, amazing. So he said he lived in LA. And I was like, yeah, let's meet up, whatever. He then was like texting me. We exchanged numbers and he started texting me. And we were texting back and forth. And then the next morning, same thing like you, I went to go check the app and he had unmatched me on the app. And then I sent him a text message about it. And he didn't respond to the text message, which was really weird because he was like texting, like he was the one initiating everything. And I was like, oh, haha, you want to match me, LOL. Mm -hmm. And so then after a couple of hours had passed, I was like, okay, this is obviously done. And so I made a, a thing about it. And my friend was like, wait a second, I matched with the exact same guy in Brooklyn. Oh my God. And I matched with him in LA. So <gasps> yeah, I hit his face and, but she could just tell from like the description of the thing. Yeah. Wow. So I think that was a catfish. And I think, oh, and I found out I called the number. Yeah. And it was a Google voice number. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's like your own private investigation. I love yeah, that. <laughs> it was a Google voice number. And also the pictures too were reverse. I have to figure out how to explain to this, but there's a way to reverse, like my friend helped me reverse Google search. Them. Yes. I've heard you can do that. They were like, he had pulled them from the internet. So actually a guy, some random person was sexting me from God knows where, probably his mom's basement, which actually pretty oh cool. Your God. mom has a basement. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Pretty it's cool. not, it's not common out here. So yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Wow. That is a great insight. I hadn't even thought about that. It was just like, I was just like, oh, he wasn't interested, like double booked, who knows, but. Oh no. Cause what also, why would like, he was like, oh, I made the plan. And then it's like, oh man, like I can't show up. Like that was the crazy thing too, is we had made a plan initially, like before the dinner date and we were supposed to get coffee and then he had to cancel. I put it in quotes Mm -hmm. now. And so I was just like, okay, like we're done. Obviously he just wasn't interested. He made up an excuse. And then he followed up the next week. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like to make it up to you, let me take you to dinner. So that's why I was like, what was the point of this? Like you were already rid of me once. No, he because he was a catfish. And like, I don't know what catfish are trying to gain. Maybe it's like the validation that someone wants to go on a date with them. Like, I don't know. But yeah, I would guarantee you that you were talking with a catfish. Yeah, that's the most logical answer I've heard from anyone. So I think you're right. So I guess, you know, as you've kind of talked to countless experts on your show at this point who have like a range of professional experience, I would love to hear your thoughts on you shared a great definition for gaslighting. But like, what do you think of the actual term love bombing? Or like, what do you think makes somebody a narcissist or a sociopath? Well, so love bombing is, I experienced that firsthand. And love bombing is these like over the top, like displays of love and emotion. The bottom line with love bombing is like, they're using it to manipulate you. So if someone gets you a nice gift and then they kind of like, they don't talk to you, right? Like whatever, like that's not really love bombing. Mm-hmm. Love bombing is like, okay, they like treat you like crap. And then all of a sudden, grand gesture, grand gesture, and then they keep treating you like crap. And then just when you're about to leave, here's another grand gesture. It also kind of almost is in the way that how like the person that you always go back to, like they always hit you up right when they know that you finally moved on. It's like that same type of mental manipulation. So yeah, I think with love bombing, it has to be a form of mental manipulation. It's not like he took me out to a nice dinner and then he never texted me back. Like, because it's a long game. It's a long con. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. And my ex did that for my birthday. He took me out to this like really nice dinner and he took me to Billy Joel's hundredth concert at Madison square garden. And then he ignored me for a week and we lived together. And then right when I was about to like, be like, okay, like then another grand gesture. And then this just kept on going on and on. And when I finally broke up with him, he also tried to love bomb me to get me back into the relationship. And I did not take the bait. So, well, that's impressive because I think (laughs) a lot of people might, it's like really hard to like avoid that. I imagine my parents were with me, so they would not let me take the bait. (laughs) If I was by myself, I (laughs) might've love a third party who's supportive. (laughs) So I would say that's definitely, that's love bombing. I could also, if you want the clinical definition, I could give it to you. Oh Yeah. Because I also just like, this is what I think it is, but I want to make sure that I'm telling you. Yeah, it's an attempt to influence a person by demonstrations of affection and attention. Psychologists have identified love bombing as a possible part of a cycle of abuse and have warned against it. It also has been described as psychological manipulation in order to create a feeling of unity. So yeah, that's basically what it is. So love bombing and manipulation go hand in hand. It's not just nice things. Yeah, yeah. It's why, it's the motivation. And when you said narcissist, Narcissists love bomb a lot because it's not about they love you. It's they want you to feel like you can't live without them. So like they love bomb you not because they actually know that you want this really nice thing or whatever. They want this gesture. They do it as a means to control and to keep you from feeding their ego and worshiping them. Okay. That is also a really key distinction. Cause I feel like a lot of times people will say, oh, they're such a narcissist when they really just mean, oh, this person might be self-centered or really into themselves, but that alone doesn't make somebody a narcissist. So no. I'd love to hear more about like yeah. what actually classifies them. So narcissist is a personality disorder. It's a mental condition 
where people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and lack of empathy. The empathy thing is the biggest thing. Because that's why narcissism, sociopath, serial killer, it's like the build, right? Because if you lack empathy as a narcissist, well, a lot of serial killers are narcissists because like, obviously they lack empathy. That's why they can keep committing murder over and over again because they have no empathy. Yeah. So my gosh. So what would be a distinction between a narcissist and a sociopath? Understanding that someone could be both. So the difference between a sociopath and a narcissist is sociopaths, they're saying, are more calculated and they have no regard for the welfare or pain of others and are most likely to derive pleasure from their acts. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So it's the motive. So you can distinguish a narcissist and a sociopath by the motive behind their actions. And so for a narcissist, scheming, showering compliments, forging friendships, and otherwise manipulating others are ultimately geared towards their ego and the expansion of self-importance. The narcissist is self-centered. On the other hand, a sociopath will manipulate, harm, rob, and otherwise violate another person merely for the fun of it. Oh, So that seems to be the big distinguish, that the narcissist, their motive is for themselves, Yeah. (laughs) where the sociopath just does it. Patrick Bateman, if he did kill all those people, we'll never know from American Psycho. (laughs) Or was it just a fantasy? Oh my gosh. It seemed like he was doing it for fun. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely getting some pleasure out of that. Yeah. So I guess, obviously, if people came out with these traits right out of the gate, we wouldn't have so many instances of people getting like swindled and falling for these people. I think the most dangerous ones are the people who can put on a great face and suck you in. And then the toxicity starts to come out slowly. So I guess based on like the guests who you've interviewed, have you identified any clear red flags that people should be on the lookout for? Well, I think it's like, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. And look, I believe in like the fairy tale love, love at first sight, all that stuff. But like, if you feel like something isn't adding up, and the other thing too with the guests is they all had a feeling in their gut that this wasn't going to work out, but they still were like, but I'm going to stick with it. So a lot of them did not listen to that voice. And so that's a big thing. But I, yeah, I think it's when things seem too good to be true, when they move too quickly, and when you also aren't real with yourself and the situation, and you're not looking at who this person is on paper, you're just looking at their allure. And especially when we talk about sociopaths and narcissists, they're so good at making you feel like you're the most important person in the room. That's their gift. So Mm -hmm. Like when you're on a date, like why is this date going so well? Is it because you have a lot in common? Is it because you feel like there's a balance and a partnership? Or is it because this person you're on a date with is like giving you all of this attention and making you feel super special, even though they just met you like an hour ago? Yeah. And I feel like it's really, one thing I've said before on the show is that it can be easy to get sucked into that because you're like, wow, finally someone who recognizes how great I am. But like when you take a step back, it's just like, no, this is totally unwarranted. Yes, I'm great for X, Y, and Z reasons, but like they don't even know those reasons because they just met me. And so we kind of have to be a little more objective about really understanding someone's motives and like the genuineness of their statements and actions. Right. And because then that can end up leading into control. Like they put you on this pedestal, they build you up, they gas you up, they make you feel like you're amazing and incredible. And then all of a sudden they start controlling you or they take away that. And then you're like, what did I do when really nothing, this is part of their plan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so scary. So scary. 
it's just like so crazy to think about. But I think, you know, one thing that one of the professionals on your show mentioned that stuck out to me is that I think he said your subconscious processes things in like milliseconds or something. Whereas yeah, conscious- I think that was Jim Clementi, who's the founder of XG Productions, and he was a former FBI mm. special agent and detectives. I've, I've also heard all these episodes so many times because I also yes. edited them. So like, that's oh, nice. Like, oh. Well, I wow. mean, with other people, I gave my notes. I'm, I'm not an actual like, <laughs> I was like, wow, you're a great editor. <laughs> no, not not like not sound mixed editing, meaning like listen to like these episodes were like an hour long and like going through be like, hey, let's cut this. Let's keep mm-hmm. this like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but that was really good to remind myself because I think you brought up that you should just listen to your gut. And I think sometimes people can like write that off, but it's so important to really just kind of trust it. Like it's there for a reason. It's something that has developed from an evolutionary standpoint. And so just kind of remembering like if it feels off, like don't try to rationalize that feeling away. And it's also the butterflies. I think we think that having butterflies is a good thing. And I think it is for like, okay, the first like couple of minutes of the date, butterflies, sure. But if every time you're with this person, you have butterflies and you're nervous, like, like when no. you really meet the person that you're meant to be with and your partner, you just feel calm. And I, I think it was the movie, Isn't It Romantic? Said something like that, that movie. <laughs> <Yes. was. laughs> but it's something like, it's like, it's like, no, that's true. Like when you actually like having butterflies, when you meet, like that actually is something to be like, why am I having these butterflies? Why am yeah. I so nervous? Is it because I'm doing the thing that I always do? It's because I said I was going to break my patterns and here's my pattern. Like, here he is in all his glory. (laughs) Of course I like him. He's like every other guy I dated. (laughs) Just my type. (laughs) My gosh. So I guess, are there any other behaviors that you would recommend women who are online dating just put into practice that might not be as intuitive? So kind of going back to like the, make sure that you don't exchange numbers until after your first date. Don't exchange numbers until after your first date. Never have your date pick you up from where you live. Always meet them somewhere. And also, if the date isn't willing to go to you, your side of town, I think that's a big red flag. I wouldn't even mess with that. Also, don't have first dates come over to your apartment. Please, 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 please do not do this. No, no, no. Please meet in a public space. I know things are still pandemic, but like go for a walk and do it in a place that's public people are around. When I was dating, I had three bars and I knew the bartenders. I knew the staff there. I felt safe there. Also, another thing, I don't know if you remember this, and we actually talk about this on episode two of my podcast. There was a thing a while back called the angel shot, which was like a code. Mm -hmm. I actually did a report on this back when I was hosting for the Elite Daily Show and writing for Elite Daily years ago, where I actually went to all the bars that I went on my first dates at and asked them about it. And none of them knew what this was, even though the internet made it seem like, oh, this is this great thing that all these bartenders know, like no one knew what it was. And some adopted it. But the biggest takeaway from that is I asked them, I was like, so what do you do? Like, what's the best thing someone could do if they're uncomfortable and they're Mm. on a date? And they said, you could always tell the bartender, but also most bars that serve food, the kitchen goes outside. So if you need an escape route, you could pretend to go to the bathroom, go through the kitchen, tell them what you need to do. And someone will probably escort you out of the restaurant. I hope it never goes that badly. But it's nice to know that that's like the easiest thing that you could remember instead of remembering how to order what shot and what that means. Yes, 100%. That is very actionable and helpful to know. Oh, and sharing your location. Have one friend who knows your locations and have your friend like check in on you or you check in on the friend. Like I always when I was doing all these dates, my really good friend lived across the hall from me, basically like we were friends, but we are friends still. But <laughs> it was nice to have that because if she didn't hear, I would tell her I was going on these dates, she'd have my location. And like, let's say it was like a 
been dating this guy for a while and she saw that I wasn't at the bar and I was maybe at his house or something like that, she would like text me like, are you okay? Like what's going on? Just to like make sure I was safe. And I think having friends like that and having that buddy system, especially if you have roommates, I mean, it's so easy to share someone's location and just to like make sure that, especially if they aren't coming home, like make sure they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And we have the technology, so might as well use it to our advantage to increase our safety. Now I track my husband's location. It's great. I always know where he is. Yes. No secrets. (laughs) No secrets. (laughs) Well, this was amazing. But before I let you go, I wanted to play a quick game. And so I wanted to kind of like diagnose some pop culture characters and recognizing, of course, these are fictional characters. This is not a professional diagnosis. We are just kind of like- I'm not a psychiatrist. (laughs) Yes. We are just leading into this for fun. So key disclaimer to make. Okay. Okay. So my first question is, did you watch And Just Like That? Of course. Okay. I was like, I know she watched it, but I Huge Sex and the City fan. I don't know if I'm a Just Like That fan. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, slight side note. I feel like I've seen so many people be like, this was a horrible show, but I want so much more of it. I want so much more. how I feel. I'll let you know how I feel about this show after season five, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, they better do six seasons like Sex and the City. (laughs) I'm going to watch every episode and I'm going to, I'm not going to be that crazy that I'm going to watch it when they come out like 3 a.m. or whatever time (laughs) it is for us. I do want, but I always watch it the day it's out. Always. Oh yeah. It's so worth all of the like fodder and discussion. And so I had to ask, what do you think about Shay Diaz? Because they literally say, I'm a narcissist. And I was like, what? Shay Diaz is a narcissist. <laughs> is, I mean, the whole that they decided to do a musical number. I mean, Miranda oh calls God. it out. Like, of course, Shay Diaz is a narcissist. They yeah. are a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. They are an actor. I could say this as a former stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedians are, they have to be a little bit of a narcissist to get up there and think that a room full of people wants to hear what's coming out of your mouth. So yes, Chadius is 110% Uh a narcissist. I don't need to be a psychiatrist to tell you that. No, it was just so funny the way they like gleefully exclaimed it. And then Miranda's like, yeah, this is a person I need to follow across the country. I mean, Miranda, I did it. No, it's not worth it. I also followed a narcissist across the country the other way from LA to New York. It was not worth it, Miranda. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, speaking of that, I'm like, I just cannot wait to see where that goes. So also, I really, I wish we saw what happened. Was it Cleveland? I was. When like Miranda came back, I was just like, are you kidding me? I was like dying for episode nine. I was so disappointed. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, the bigger thing that I think makes Che a narcissist is when Miranda visited them and mm-hmm. had the cookies and then Che had to say that weird thing about not being alone because they're with themselves. Like what? Like That was so crazy. Yeah. And it's also just like, come on, you know, this person is clearly feeling insecure. Like, why wouldn't you just say anything to make them feel a little bit better rather than like something that's going to make them assume that you are cheating on them? Or is Che cheating on Miranda? Was there someone else there that like, is that what they're trying to do? I don't trust Che at all. I definitely don't. And I don't know how I don't, I'm not a fan of Che's comedy. So I'm not sure if that pilot's going to get that green light. I mean, comedy is really stretching. (laughs) Che's a great singer, by the way. I think that I would have been more believing if Che was like a Broadway star. Cause actually, uh, Sara is right. Was it? Yeah. That's more believable. They're in New York city. Why didn't they? I guess maybe that was like too much of a thing to shoot a Broadway show, but do you even need to see the show? I don't know. No, we never needed to see it, honestly. Yeah. And 
I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other episode on just like breaking down this season, but like, yeah, just a lot to unpack there. So much. Okay. So since you're a Sex in the City fan, a throwback, Mr. Big, obviously before all the scandal around that. So Gosh. do you ever feel like he gaslit Carrie at any point throughout the season? Like for example, when he won't introduce her to his mom and he's like, it's not that big of a deal. Or he like says she should go on vacation with him, even though he can't tell her that she's the one. Yeah, I feel like there were definitely, I don't know if it's gaslighting, but there definitely was some form of manipulation with their relationship always. And I mean, I do think Mr. Big is the guy you always go back to, which actually Matthew Hussey had said this. I saw this on TikTok. It was so, it was so smart where he said that the most toxic person you could date is the guy that always comes back because that guy wastes so much of your time. So I think that that relationship was more toxic to Carrie in the sense that I think there were so many other great guys out there, like Aiden, like other guys Mm -hmm. that she dated. Actually, Aiden has his own issues. I didn't like the whole trying to change her thing. Like, but no, there were other guys that she dated. I mean, like the Yankee, for example, remember? She really messed that up. I was so upset. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there were so many guys that she dated on the show that were treated her so much better than big, but she was never able to be with them because she was never fully present in any other relationship. And even now with him gone, I don't think the math teacher is that great, but I'm like season two with the producer. Like, you know that she's going to be like, I can't move on. I'm a widow. My husband died. (laughs) Yes, we know. We know. You remind us every episode, Carrie. Previously on on and just like that. My husband died. Like the whole worst breakup thing, I was like, "Come on, you." Oh well, yeah. The, the, po- post-it. the post-it note was the worst breakup. Not like what? Like Come on, death Carrie. is not a breakup. Okay, you just want to circle it back to you as always. She needs to retire that bit. I mean, I know her husband really did die, but we need to retire the whole "my husband died" as a punchline. Like season two, yeah, please. You're making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next one to me seems like a classic love bomber. Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, yes, definitely. But also, I don't know, because he had her sign the contract, right? Mm-hmm. And it was consensual, and she knew what she was signing up for. And so mm-hmm. I think, and I have the chapter, The Guy with the Fetish, which is definitely Christian mm-hmm. Grey. I am not definitely not an expert in the BDSM world. I just dated a guy with a foot fetish and found out it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't my soulmate, pun intended. But <laughs> Love that. But I wish I knew more about that world because I think you have to look more and also more about the 50 Shades movies. I feel like I can only remember the first one. Mm-hmm. And what I remember with the first one is that contract. And I know that the BDSM community is like really, really big on consent is like so, so, so big and so mm-hmm. key. So I don't really know if that was love bombing. Like, I think it's part of the game. And I think that she signed up for it. That is a good point. I think you're right. He was very explicit in the expectations. I'm going to say something controversial. I think the second movie was pretty good. Not like in an intentional way, but I really enjoyed it. And in the second movie, like after they've broken up, like he does a lot to try and get her back. And it's like pretty creepy, actually, from my perspective. Like I feel like he kind of crosses some boundaries and like invades her space a little bit, but it's all under the guise of like, oh, I wanted to help you or you needed this thing. So it's just very interesting. Okay, so I guess I have to rewatch the second movie because I'm based, I'm judging this diagnosis in quotes solely mm-hmm. off of the first movie and the part where they signed the contract. <laughs> yes, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so the next two, I did some Googling of like, okay, TV and movie narcissists or just toxic people. 
So one of them, one of the characters I hate the most on TV, Ryan Howard from The Office. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also been a while since I've seen it. I used to be a big Office fan, but it's been a mm-hmm. while since I've seen it. I just think when I think of him, I just think whiny. Yeah. And I also think of the, so we're talking about his relationship with Kelly. Mm-hmm. And I remember that like being a toxic relationship, right? Very toxic. Yeah. Very toxic. Yeah. Like she clearly wanted to be with him and he would always like do these things and never really fully commit to her. So I don't know. So from that memory, I would say that's a toxic relationship in terms of what his personality trait is. I think that's more of just like a douchebag. Yeah, you're right. Because someone was saying he's a narcissist. But I don't really think that. I just think he was an awful person. <laughs> I think his character, his character is the temp, right? And I think yes. there's like a, there's kind of a thing with like a temp is always kind of the outsider. They try really hard to fit in. They're a try hard. And then they're also going to be a little bit like they're always trying to get ahead. They're trying to get that permanent position. Yeah. So I think that his motives were always more about the job and himself, which I guess could kind of fall under the narcissism blanket. But I mm. always thought of his character as more of just as a douchebag. Yeah. Douchebag is the proper diagnosis from my perspective as but well. But <laughs> maybe I need a rewatch. Maybe I need to rewatch The Office from the beginning. <laughs> it's a good rewatch. Big commitment, but good rewatch. Big commitment. Big yes. commitment. I don't know if I could live through uh, Jim and Pam again. That was just... <laughs> okay. Same. Again, I don't want to say anything too controversial. I don't really like Jim and Pam personally. Well, yeah. I mean, wasn't the whole, it start, she was engaged when she started dating him, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's all yes. these weird things. And then I don't know. I don't think you should date someone you work with. And I think there was, I feel like there was some like things that are you know, looking back, you'd be like, well, was that okay? Yeah. I just didn't like how smug they were. Like they thought mm. they were so cool, but it's like, you work here too. So <laughs> I don't know why you think you're so much better than all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Be grateful to have a 401k and a health Seriously. insurance. Like, yeah. <laughs> they were just like big fishes in small ponds. Mm-hmm. But they would have been small fishes in a bigger pond if they went to like an actual city instead of Scranton. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, the one funny thing, which is mean, not okay. But I remember like Ryan, he's talking about Pam on the phone to his friend and he's like, uh, probably like a six, but in Scranton, she's a seven. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So this last one is really interesting. I don't know if I agree that she has any personality disorders, but would love to hear your thoughts. And so Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, Miranda, I feel like she's so toxic, but she's like very iconic. And so would love to get your thoughts on her diagnosis, if any. Toxic girl boss? (laughs) Could that be one? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's what it is. But I also think that all of her actions are based on, she's a little self-centered, right? Like it's a little bit like everything, but at the same time, she's not a full narcissist because she's making her decisions for what's best for the company. And I take it more as a thing like that she, and I I know it's based on Anna Winter. I'm assuming that this is also what she probably went to and why she has this reputation is that she probably worked really hard to get to where she is. And she probably did a lot of the grunt work that like Anne Hathaway's character had to do to get to that position. To me, it just, it reminds me more of like when I was in a sorority and the girls, when I was pledging how they treated me. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like hazing in a way. And like, you have to earn it if you want success because I had to earn it. And they went through the same thing. So yeah, I don't really condone hazing, but also I kind of understand. And the hazing was all mental, which is also pretty bad, but in my sorority, but yeah, like don't haze, but I get why people do it. And I get why they get upset when they can't do it anymore because they had to go through it. 
Yeah. And I, I wish we would just break the toxic cycle of it because I just don't think it's right. But agreed. But I guess that's how it works. And I, yeah, I don't, I think Miranda Priestly is really, not, she's a toxic girl boss, but I think that's part of the culture and that's how she got to where she is. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for indulging me. This was so fun. This was so, I love this. I could play this forever. Like, let's go through all the pop culture characters. I know. I was like, should I just make it all sex in the city character? <laughs> I could, I could do that. I could go through all of them. Yes. All the exes. Well, I would love if you could plug where people can find your current podcast and, you know, your book, anything else that you would like to share. Sure. So Am I Dating a Serial Killer is available only on Audible. And if you don't have Audible, you could do like, there's a trial and then <laughs> you could listen and then no. But, but key, Audible is <laughs> great because it's also where you could listen to my book, 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s. Many other amazing podcasts are on the platform as well as many audiobooks. And so, yeah, Am I Dating a Serial Killer? 10 episodes, first season, very bingeable, trigger warning, but also it is, as you were saying, Leslie, there's some lightness to it as well. So you can binge it. So that's all in Audible. My book, 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s is available wherever you buy or listen to books. You also can head to my website, which is gabbyconti.com, G-A-B-I-C-O-N-T-I. And that has a link to the podcast. It has all the places you could buy and listen to my book on there. And it has a way to contact me and a bunch of other things are on there too. And my Instagram is Gabby Conti. So I-T-S-G-A-B-I-C-O-N-T-I, where I also stay up to date with all my stuff is on there. So yeah. Amazing, amazing follow. Highly recommend. And I will say I never had Audible. I literally got an account just so I could listen to this podcast and it was so worth it. Well, now that you have it, you have to listen to Mariah Carey's book because I don't understand how you could not listen to Mariah Carey's book. And now oh I'm like, gosh, damn it. Wait, I wish I didn't. book called? Ooh, it's. Hold on, I'll tell you. Let me pull up my Audible because it was so long ago that I listened to it, but it was, I'm so happy I did it. It is called The Meaning of Mariah Carey. Wow. Okay, definitely adding that to my list. And also I'm guessing because like she sings when she's like some of it, it's, it's just great. <laughs> I read Jessica Simpson's book, which I loved. And I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have got the audiobook. I don't know. I think every celebrity book is like meant to be heard. Yeah. My book, I would love you to have the hard copy, even though there's an audio, because the audio doesn't have the games and the quizzes. And I feel like this is yeah. something you want to like keep on your table and refer back it's a to cute book. with friends. Thank you. But yeah, so Audible is great for that. Oh, and then, oh, one thing I want to say is that we don't know if we have a second season yet. So please give the podcast love. So hopefully we will get that second season. But I'm always keeping an ongoing list for potential guests for Am I Dating a Serial Killer? So if you have a crazy story that you want to share on the podcast, you can either contact me or email skdatingpodcast at gmail.com. So that's SK for serial killer dating podcast at gmail.com. Amazing. Yeah. So I'll definitely be linking to all of this in the show notes. And as always, you can find me and the podcast at interstates and heartbreak all spelled out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find my personal account at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Gabby, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. So fun. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.